You're listening to the Verbatim Word Podcast, where we seek biblical truth in a daily context. I'm Justin Gary. Have you ever moved seats in church during the middle of the service? That actually happened to us recently. We were visiting a church that we don't normally attend. Now, a lot of people, when they go to church week after week, they tend to sit in the same area, the same seats even, the same pew, the same part of the sanctuary, all in that uh, habit of familiarity. When you go someplace new, you kind of walk in and figure out, well, where do we want to sit? Well, we found a spot and we sat down and we began to worship with the people. It was beautiful worship. It was focused on Jesus. It was glorifying to him. But it was really distracting because behind us sat a little child, probably under the age of two. Now, well-meaning parents, of course, wanted their child to worship with them. And as good as the child was, and they were trying to keep the child hushed, the child was on a phone or something of the sort. And every couple seconds, you heard one of the parents trying to whisper in a very hushed tone to keep that child quiet. It was pretty distracting throughout worship, though we did try to give glory to the Lord throughout it all. However, between the worship and the teaching, there was a break. And during that break time, my wife and I looked at one another and said, do you want to move? And she said yes. And we moved because we knew we would be distracted throughout the entire service because the child behind us, well, in their nature of being one and a half, two years old, they just wouldn't sit still. Sitting still can be hard to do. When we're on this earth, there are lots of things to distract us. There are lots of things that make us uncomfortable. There are lots of things against our nature that we just squirm and squirm under. And so the Bible tells us many times that we should be still. And we want to look at that today. There's a reason why we need to be still. I sat in a room recently of a bunch of us who were just sitting around talking about the Lord and what he was doing in our lives. And it seemed like all of us were kind of in a little uncomfortable place. Things that we were being stretched in, things that we were being tried in, all of us a little anxious, a little worried, a lot of change, a lot of transition. One couple had just recently gotten married and so they were adjusting to new life and all the responsibilities that come with juggling new roles as husband and wife, as well as full-time jobs and working in new living situations. Another had finally graduated to enter into profession and dealing with all the stress and anxiety of trying to perform and do something that was right. Even my wife and I, we were struggling with some things that were going on, just some personal strains and struggles in our household that were making us a bit uncomfortable. And as we all sat there, we began to focus on the word where it tells us in scriptures to be still. That's something to do sometimes, even in our own devotional time, is to look up a word that might mean something to us or might be pressing on our heart or something we're concerned about. Find a biblical dictionary, find a concordance, just Google it online, find a Bible website and start looking throughout scripture where that word is used. And I had done that that very morning when I sat with that group of people and we talked about trying to be still before the Lord. I was having a very restless morning. Some things going on in our house. Once again, I hate to always say this, but something was going on with one of our cats and it was being long and drawn out. And we were a little worried and a little concerned. We'd already made a number of trips to uh, the vet within a couple of days after they got a bad uh, reaction to a vaccine that they had, a typically routine vaccine for cats. And it was causing one of our cats lots of issues. And so I just was totally unsettled, um, trying to get things settled, not just there, but we were in the middle of renovating a room in our house, doing some painting, So the whole living room looked like in shambles. Our life looked like a mess. And my heart was in the same place reflecting that. And so I was meditating on the word to be still. And there in that room of people, as we were all going through lots of strains and transitions in life, we decided to look at some of those places where it meant to be still. So today's podcast, we take a little break from the book of Mark and we look at six places in scripture where we're told to be still. And interesting enough, each of those, most of them have a different root word in the original, in the original Hebrew, in the original 
original Greek. There's different things that would then exhort us to be still. We're going to look at that today. So let's dive in. The first of the six verses that we look at today about being still is in Exodus chapter 14. Now, if you remember from Sunday school, Exodus 14 is right after the nation of Israel has uh, started running. They're running from Egypt, two million strong, as they have followed up with uh, those 10 plagues that Moses had to boldly speak to Pharaoh, that if he did not heart, soften his heart, if he did not let God's people go, that these would come. And it finally ended with the um, death of the firstborn. And now Israel is on the move as they head out and they're leaving. And Egypt is not so happy about this. They're actually pretty mad. So they've gotten a little bit way of the way into the wilderness. And now Egypt is hot on their tail. And God's kind of stopped in the middle of that. You can just imagine this anxiety. Here they are running. They've got their children with them. They've got all their livestock. They've got all their belongings. This is the road trip from hell. And as they head out, um, they come to the Red Sea and they're stuck. And behind them is the Egyptian army. God intervenes. They've got the sea on one hand. They On one side, they can't go anywhere. Behind them, they've got this pillar of fire, kind of this temporary restraining order against the Egyptians and Pharaoh to keep them away. And in the middle of that, the people start freaking out. It says, then they said to Moses, this is Exodus 14, beginning in verse 11. Then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. That's Exodus 14 verses 11 through 14. So you see this scene here, the people, they say, Moses, have you brought it? This is the worst situation we could be in. They're all freaking out. They're completely unsettled. And Moses has to speak something. Too many people listening to him. He has to say something. And the war, the Lord gives him what I believe is to be a word of, of, of wisdom, a word of knowledge. He says, don't be afraid. Stand still. That's the first of the six verses we look at today. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. Now, the word there for stand still, it's a Hebrew word. It's yachtsav, yachtsav. It means to set, to stand, or to position oneself. Now, notice there, position yourself and see the salvation of the Lord. When I hear that word position yourself, it's kind of like, hey, turn this way look this way. Um, if you've ever done anything crazy, like gone out to watch shooting stars or on a whale watch or something like that, you need to position yourself in the right way. It always happens going out to someone, you'll be looking for shooting stars and someone will be like, oh no, you just saw one. Where was it? It was behind you. And so you turn to look there and then another one comes in another direction. You keep missing it. What is saying right here is Moses is saying, don't be afraid, stand still, position yourself. Right now, you are all over the place. You are running, you are fleeing, and you're not standing still. You're not positioning yourself to see something great that God is about to do. And what was he about to do? He was about to part the Red Sea. He was going to part the Red Sea and this entire nation with all their kids and all their stuff was going to march through the Red Sea. And then Egypt was going to try it and they were going to get, um, it was going to come back on them and they were going to drown in the midst of that sea. But he's saying, look this way, step right up, look in this direction. The show's about to start. You've probably been in a theater before, a movie theater or a production of some sort, and the audience is talking. And as the lights start to dim, everyone quiets down and begins to face toward the stage to see what's about to take place. That's what he's saying here. 
position yourself. Turn this way. Turn your chair this direction. This is where the show is about to go down. And right now you're turned the opposite way. You're sitting backwards in your chair. Your lounge chair is faced the opposite way. Position yourself so that you can see a little bit better. You know, oftentimes we get so crazy in life and we're running around and the conflicts come and we can't be still because, well, we're trying to do something. So we're running around in every single direction. And sometimes the Lord says, hey, stop, stand still, position yourself. Don't you see that I'm about to do something here? I love how Moses gives him that warning. He doesn't just say, oh, forget about them. They're complaining. Moses, part the seed. They'll figure it out eventually. But God wants to get the glory. He wants them to have an audience in this. He wants them to actually see it and be excited, to be marveled in their eyes as they see the things that take place right in front of them. There might be things in your life right now that God's about to do something. And yet right now you're so focused on what's behind you or, or what's threatening you that you're not even expecting that God's about to do something. It's those moments where our hearts are restless, where we're not still, that God sometimes is saying, hey, stand still, position yourself, quiet yourself down. I'm about ready to do something and I'm not, the show is not going to start until you get in that position to watch it because it's too good of a show for you to miss. He gives them that exhortation there. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. This battle was going to belong to the Lord. As many of our battles, we need to turn them over to the Lord and let him fight those battles. And what are we to be? We're just to be those spectators. We're just to be those ones sitting there enjoying yourself. So position yourself. The show is about to start. And of course, like the people of the Bible, we too don't get that lesson right the first time. And so we find ourselves once again in seasons of life, whether that be mentally, emotionally, or even physically, not standing still before the Lord. So we fast forward a little bit in Israel's history in the Old Testament. We get to the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 20, where we find our second verse that we'll look at on this podcast. It's in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and Jehoshaphat is king. And a lot of the enemies of Israel are coming against them, and the people are pretty um, unsettled because of this. This time, though, they do something wise. They've seen time and time again throughout their history that God comes through for them when they seek him. So King Jehoshaphat and the people, they begin to seek the Lord. In fact, it tells us right before the verses that we're going to read, it says, Now all Judah with their little ones, their wives and their children stood before the Lord. So they're positioning themselves before the Lord. And this is what we read in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 14 through 17. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, the, uh, um, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. So Spirit comes upon someone. Someone is prophesying. Someone is speaking forth the words of the Lord to them. And it says in verse 15, he said, Listen, all you Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you. Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. It's interesting. We read something similar in Exodus. The Lord will fight for you. You shall hold your peace. He says, it's not your battle. It's the Lord's. Tomorrow, go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jerel. You will not need to fight this battle. And then he says, here's the key verse, 2 Chronicles 20, 17. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Hear that how many times? The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. In Second Chronicles 20, 17, they sought the Lord, and the Lord gave confirmation through this prophet that God was with them. The word there that is translated stand still is a different 
Hebrew word than the one we looked at in Exodus. It's amad, amad. It means to stand still, to stop moving, to take one stand, to remain, to endure. Plant your feet basically is what it means. Interesting though, did you notice? He said, position yourselves and then stand still. Position yourselves and then stand still, uh, stop moving, take your stand. Notice, position yourselves. It's the word that we saw back in Exodus. So pretty much the author here, the translators have to figure out what to do with these two words. So the first one is position yourselves, turn this way, the show's about to start. And second of all, stand still, stop moving, take your stand, remain and endure. For us, many times when we are freaking out, just like these people, our thought is to flee. And the word from the prophet there was tomorrow go up against them. Position yourselves, march into it so that you can see it front row seat, and then stand still, stop moving. We often turn to all of our resources, and that's something that Israel had done many times. Instead of standing still or instead of going into battle, they fled to someone else and said, hey, can you fight this battle for me? Sort of a my dad's bigger than your dad thing, um, finding someone else to fight, a bigger bully to fight the other bully. And so that's kind of what Israel tended to do. And we do the same thing. We start looking at all of our resources. What can we do? What can we get out of? We run, we hide. The Lord there says, position yourselves, stand still, don't go anywhere. And if you don't go anywhere, you're going to see me do something great. You know, that's one of the hardest things to do is stay firmly planted in our faith and not to be rocked to and fro um, by the circumstances of our life, but to stand still, to stand right there, firm in our faith, firm on the foundation of the word of God and the promises of God. That's something important to do if we're seeking to be peaceful and to be people who can stand still and of peace is to find promises upon the word of God with which we can stand. I think of Jesus in the wilderness when Satan tempted him and all these things, wanting to get him to rock, wanting to get him to root move, wanting to get him to run away. And every time he stood upon a promise of God, something from the Old Testament that would keep him grounded and rooted. And we can do the same thing. Notice that exhortation once again, verse 17. You will not need to fight this battle. You don't have to fight it. It's not up to you. It's not up to your strength. It's not up to your resources. Instead, position yourselves. Turn this way. The show's about to start. Stand still. Don't move anywhere. Plant your feet and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear. Be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, for the Lord is with you. What confidence we would have, what boldness we would have, what stability we would have if we weren't rocked and moved by every single thing, but instead we looked to the Lord and then we stood firm, not running away and not backtracking from where we are. All right, we turn forward a little bit more to our third verse now in the book. It's in Job chapter 37. Now, you know the tragic story of Job, this faithful man of God being tested by the Lord. Everything has been taken from him. His children, his uh, property, his business, pretty much everything. His wife is still around, and she says, curse God and die. So she's not the most encourager, most encouraging person around that time. Even his health has been taken from him. He's got some well-meaning friends that for many, many chapters of the book try and give him advice, but they don't really see the perspective and aren't giving him the best advice all the time. But then in Job 37, one of the friends begins to speak up and he begins to tell him to look at all these things that God does. He says things like, he sends forth the rumbling of the thunder under the whole heaven, his lightning to the ends of the earth. He goes on and he says, um, he says to the snow, fall on the earth, likewise to the gentle rain and the heavy rain of this strength. 
He seals the hand of every man. The beasts go into their dens. By the breath of God, ice is given, and the broad waters are frozen. The moisture, he saturates the thick clouds. He scatters his bright clouds. He's going through and looking all at all creation. And then he says this in Job 37, 14. Listen to this, O Job. Stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. Do you know when God dispatches them and causes the light of his cloud to shine? Do you know how the clouds are balanced, those wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge? Why are your garments hot when he quiets the earth by the south wind? With him have you spread out the sky strong as a cast metal mirror? So he basically says, hey, Job, stand still and think about these things. Look at what God can do and look what you can't do. That word there in second, or sorry, in Job 37 again, is the same one we saw in Second Chronicles. It's Ahmad, which means there, once again, stop moving, take one stand. I like how he says there, listen to this, O Job. Funny, for almost 37 chapters, 30 plus chapters, his friends have been talking to him. And then this man has this revelation. He says, wait a, wait a second, listen to this. You haven't listened to anything else, which a lot of it was bad advice. But listen to this, Job. Listen to this. God has it all under control. Look at the world around you. He points out things like the clouds and the, the ice and the frozen lakes and um, the snow and the rain and all these things. He says, look at all of creation. God has control over it. Doesn't he have control then over what you have? He says there, stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. The things that God does every single day that are wonderful. How much more does he love us? The pinnacle of his creation. We look at for six days, God was creating and it was good. It was good. It was good. But then he creates man and it was very good. God has proven his love to us in Jesus Christ that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God sent his only begotten son that whoever perishes, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves us so much. And he says, look around at the creation and see all that God has under his control. Now, sometimes when we turn on the news, it seems like God has nothing under control by man's perspective. We hear about climate change and this and that and the economy and the wars and the death and the pestilence and the famine. Is God really in control? Yes, he is. If you look at creation in all of its essence, if you look at the uh, astronomy, if you look at all these things, how great our God is, it is all finely tuned, though sin has marred it and it's unwinding because of what man has done. But God's going to step into it and restore that creation to what it was meant to be. But Job's friend says to him, he says, listen to this, Job, stand still, stop moving, take your stand and consider the wondrous works of God. Sometimes it would do us good to just stop and reflect on all that God has in control. All in this world, God is still upon the throne. I know for myself in the couple years of COVID, anytime things have, have kind of rocked and shifted and shaked, I've always come to that same conclusion, that same thing that's brought me to rest. God is still on the throne. God is still in control of my life, of my circumstances, of the issues that are affecting me right now, but how much more on a universal level, a global level, all of creation is under his hand. Jesus even points to this when he's telling his disciples not to worry. When he says, look at the birds of the air, they don't fret and they're going to have food tomorrow. Look at the flowers of the field. They don't toil and spin and do all this work. And yet they're clothed more than, than the richest person or the finest clothing that's out there consider those things. I think it's interesting sometimes to take time to be still before the Lord, to be quiet, to have a quote-unquote quiet time or prayer time or worship time outside. When you just start to observe that creation, 
and all those beautiful things that God has in control, how finely tuned they are, how perfectly they work together, how one thing feeds another and then that gives life to another. And just this whole, not to quote from Disney too much, but the whole circle of life, how God has put it in play and he is at the center of that. that. And if God is in control of all of that, we finite man, little specks on this earth in one small period of history, you're still just as valuable to him and his eyes upon you. And anything that is out of control in your life, he can control. Anyone, Anything that seems, that seems too far out there or that is shaking too much, God can cause it to be still. So if we look at the global perspective, the universal perspective, the things in my life are really not that important or not that, that eternal. They might be important to me in this moment, but God is doing things that are far greater. He can step in and he's got this. And we need to comfort ourselves sometimes in remembering this. God's got that. God's got this too. The next word we look at about being still, it's a little farther forward. It's in Psalm 4, Psalm 4, verse 4. But before we get to that verse, in this psalm, the writer is uh, complaining, crying out to God. Hear me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. You have relieved me of my distress. Have mercy on me. Hear my prayer. He's saying, God, listen up. Listen to me because I need to talk to you right now. There's some things going on that you really need to hear about. He's basically a tattletaler to the Lord right now. He says, how long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? But know that the Lord has set apart for himself, him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. So God hears us when we cry out. He has his eye upon us, even if the world is upset or going crazy. And that's the heart that the psalmist is in. He says, Lord, do you see this? Do you see all that's going on? Then we see there in verse four of Psalm four, be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. That word there, be still, it's another Hebrew word. It's damam. It means to be struck dumb or to be so astonished that you can't speak anymore. And so he says here, be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be struck dumb. Stop talking. Stop talking about it. Stop complaining about it. Stop worrying about it. Stop expressing that anger or that frustration or that um those cries of injustice. Now there's a time to speak, but in this situation, he says, you can be angry about it, but make sure it's anger that aligns with my anger, not some self-centered or selfish anger. He says, don't sin in that anger. And then he says, meditate within your heart on your bed. Notice once again, he basically says, don't speak about it so much. Don't complain about it so much. Meditate within your heart on your bed, in those private chambers. You can talk to me about it. You can pour out your heart to me about it. Be still. Be struck dumb. Be astonished. In this sense, what he's saying is we often turn to other people. We complain to other people. We think if we speak about it, we're actually doing something about it. So we complain about it. We gossip about it. Um, when we're worried, we try and talk it out. And there's a time to seek counsel. We know that in the abundance of counselors, there is great wisdom. But oftentimes when our world is shaking, when we are not still, our mouth is the thing that is doing almost more destruction than anything else. Our mouth is causing more waves than if we would just stop and be still. And that's what the Lord says at this point. Be struck dumb. Stop talking about it. And in fact, what we've been seeing is listen to what God has to say about it. How slow we are to go to the word of God to see what the Lord would say to bring stillness to our heart. What calmness he would bring if we would just let him speak and we ourselves would stop speaking. If we would stop turning to other people for advice and telling them our situation once again and why we're restless. And again, there's a time for that. We really do need to talk about what we're going through. But sometimes we only do that and we're never struck dumb. 
Right there when he says to be struck dumb, it's also to be astonished. If we could be astonished at what God is going to do and who God is and what God can do and how he is over the earth, we'd be a little bit more silent and expectant of what he can do in that situation. And we don't need to talk about it anymore. So being still, yeah, sometimes it doesn't just have to do with our feet. Sometimes it doesn't just have to do with our heart and some hearts and minds. Sometimes we have to be still with our mouths. We need to stop talking about it. We need to give it up to the Lord. We need to talk to the Lord about it, but let him come through for us in a way that demonstrates that we truly have faith, that we've laid it at his feet and we're not carrying it anymore. All right, we're on to number five right now, just a few pages over in our Bible. We're in Psalm 46, verse 10. And in this one, it starts out by saying, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Basically, this guy's world is falling apart. He says, therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, uh, though the mountain shakes to its swellings. He goes on and on and on. But at the end of that, it says in verse nine, he makes war seas to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. And here's our verse here. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. That's another word there in the Hebrew for being still. It's rafa. It means to sink, to relax, to be quiet. When I hear that word to sink, to relax, to be quiet, all I can think of is a child who's being held by their parent. Maybe shortly before they were scared about something, they were um, they were struggling, they were stiff body, throwing their head back. And yet when they finally are comforted, when their parent is holding them, they just sink in. They just sink into their parent's chest, sink over their parent's arm. If they're lying in their lap, they might sink into their lap to sink, to relax, to be quiet. That's the word there. Be still, sink, relax, and know that I am God. There's one thing to say that God is God or one thing to believe in theory that God is God, but to know that God is God should bring rest to us. It should allow us to sink. Now, again, because we're taught to be so self-sufficient, we think if I'm not doing anything, then something can't be done. Only I can do it, right? No, this is a place of coming to surrender of the Lord and saying, Lord, I've done everything you've called me to do because he often will call us to take steps. Just like back in Second Chronicles, he said, tomorrow you're going to go out there to the battlefield. There are things to do in obedience and not just sit back and say, well, God's got this. I'm going to do nothing about it and be passive Christians. God will engage us. But when we've done everything he's called us to do, Psalm 46, 2, we can be still and know that he is God. We can sink. We can relax. We can be quiet at that point. That point of being able to rest and saying, God, you got this. Anything else that needs to happen in this, well, you're going to have to do that. And the Lord sometimes will bring us to that point. He'll lead us to do certain things. He'll call us to do certain things. And we can do nothing more. But at that point, surrender. It's okay to surrender. Something in our thinking, especially in the Western world, is if I can't do anything, I need to keep worrying about it because then at least I'm doing something. It does nothing to worry about it. Sometimes it's better to get our mind on something else, not to just distract ourselves with some mindless thing like getting back on Netflix or or playing a video game, but focusing on something that's more fruitful or more practical or that God has given us to do. It's okay to stop worrying. I think we need to be freed from that. It's okay to be still, to relax, to sink, to be quiet. 
There's some people I know that can do that so easily. They can just relax. They're not wrestled. They're not, they're not caught up with the same things that I'm caught about. And I get so envious and jealous when I'm like, how can you be calm in a situation like this? How can you not worry about what's going to happen? How can you not plan or prepare? And granted, there are times where they probably should do those things. But there's other times where I'm envious and I'm like, gosh, if I could just be still and know that you're God. I think this is important. Psalm 46, verse 10 for our world today. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. God will be exalted, whether that be in missions or in the ministry of the church or in our world today when people are saying, no, this is truth. No, this is right. No, this is how you were born. And we just can't pull out our hair anymore because we're so frustrated and say, don't you get it? He says, be still. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the, in the earth. In the end, it's not up to you to spread my kingdom. It's not up to you to do all the work of the kingdom. The work is to believe in Jesus Christ, the one that he has sent. I will be exalted. I will finish that work. Do the things I've called you to do. But then after that, relax, sink, join in. If you think about the seventh day of Sabbath, which we looked at last time in Mark, in our study of the Gospel of Mark, God created Sabbath for man because he wants us to be able to rest. He wants us to be able to enjoy life. He wants us to be able to rest in who he is and to walk with him quietly in the garden in the cool of the day. And so many times we're henny penny saying, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. And because we haven't silenced our mouths, we're spreading that anxiety. We're spreading that worry. We're causing all the other people around us to be caught up in it as well. Well, Psalm 4610 be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Sink into him, relax into him, and be quiet. Listen to what he has to say. If we're not quiet and we're speaking too much, sometimes we can't hear what God is really trying to say in the circumstances. The last verse we're going to look at in this podcast is in the New Testament, Mark chapter 4, verse 39. We'll get there in a few podcasts, but just to kind of touch on it right now, it's this. They've just been uh, ministering to the crowds, which we've seen in our study of Mark. They're growing bigger and bigger. And he's been teaching them, speaking to them, beginning to teach him parables, including the parable of the sower. And it says, on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. And then Mark 4, verse 36. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And then it says, and a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on the pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? That verse there in verse 39, he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. It's the word femao. It means to close the mouth with a muzzle, to become speechless, to be kept in check. To put a muzzle on someone, not only does it silence them, but it also brings them under your control. It brings them under authority. It kind of takes away their bite and takes away their power. And that's what Jesus did here in the storm. Notice Jesus was at total peace. He's there sleeping in the boat as they're panicking in the wind and the waves, this great windstorm arising. When they wake him up, they ask if he cares, and he stands up and simply says, peace, be muzzled to the sea. Stop it. Take your bite out. There's, you can bark, but with this muzzle on, you can barely bark, just a little whimper, but there's no way you can bite because I'm in charge here. 
And that's what the disciples realized at that point. Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? He can muzzle the wind. He can muzzle the sea. And they're freaking out a little bit because they kind of finally come to realize that this guy they've gotten to know so well, this great teacher, this amazing person who's doing these miracles, the son of God, as they're beginning to realize he's in control of every single thing. And that's often what we need to realize in the end. God can muzzle everything. Everything is under his leash. Everything is under his control. Everything is under his power. God is still in control. And when our lives become restless and we need to be still, sometimes it means literally be still. Get up in the morning in the stillness of the day. Get up in the quietness before anything else takes place. Get up before the distractions of the world get to you. You get to God. Be still. It also means the environment. Find a quiet place. Find a quiet environment. Go by a lake. Go by a mountain. If you're in a city, go into a closet. People have prayer closets. Go someplace where you can be still and reflect on how God is so great and has everything under control. That's the heart that he has for us, that we would be children who could be still and know that he is God. Now, it's interesting, these disciples there, they had seen there in the boat all the way back in Mark chapter 4. Wow, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. He can, he can muzzle the wind and the waves. And yet notice for the rest of the gospel, they're still wrestling with that. They're still trying to work that out. You know, sometimes we get so content, uh, con- concerned and, and beat ourselves up because we're anxious once again. We've lost our temper once again, or we're freaking out once again. Even though we've been through this same trial or similar trials, we don't do it with such grace, do we? I'm comforted in knowing the disciples were being discipled by Jesus and we're learning the same thing as well. In fact, this wasn't the only storm that they faced throughout that time in ministry with Jesus. They would face other storms and other storms of different types. And yet it was the same Jesus who was in the boat with them, who was on the path with them, who was in the house with them, who was in the garden with them, who was on the mountain with them. He was the same Jesus. And how good to know that God is sitting in heaven at the right hand of the Father, that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and that he's interceding for us in all the things that are causing us disruption and and worry and fear. God has got it. Jesus is right there and he's interceding, and they see it from a heavenly perspective, which we don't always have. So may this encourage you, and I would encourage you to do a word study of yourself. If there's something else that's on your heart that the Lord's doing, find a concordance, find a Bible, just Google on the internet, find those verses and meditate through multiple verses because oftentimes it's like a diamond. When you look at it from different angles, you can see different beautiful things about it. Even if you're just using your own language, the English language or whatever language you listen or read the Bible in, the words may not always be the same in the Hebrew. In my Bible, they were all be still, stand still, still. And yet when you start to uncover the Hebrew and the Greek, they were different words and each one had a slightly different facet, just like that diamond that you hold up to the light. And that's one of the beautiful things of God's word and hopefully that you're discovering here on Verbatim Word as well. The same scriptures you've always been through, but seeing it from a little different perspective. And so Lord, we just ask that you would be the Prince of Peace in our lives, that anything that is unsettled right now, Lord, that we could bring under your authority, God, that we would take all these ex- exhortations to, to, to heart, Lord, that we would position ourselves to see you do something great, that we would sit, that we would stop moving, we would plant our feet, Lord, we would go into our quiet chambers and start stop complaining so we can stop listen, start listening. We would muzzle ourselves, Lord, or we would be muzzled to come under your authority, or Lord, you would muzzle something else and bring it over to us if we need that because you have authority over everything. You are still under control, Lord, and that could, should, should bring us tremendous peace, that anything in our life right now that is causing us to be unsettled, Jesus, you are greater still. 
And because of that, we praise you, we worship you, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you.